Hi, everyone, and welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life and what next steps do you need to take to get there. I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and welcome to episode 24. I am so glad that you're here, and I think you will be too, because we are joined by a very special guest, Kimberly Wolf. Kimberly is a brand new author of an unbelievable book called Talk With Her. She has an undergraduate degree in gender studies from Brown University and a master's degree in human development and psychology from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Now, she's obviously an expert in her field, but she is also a daughter with a deep personal belief in the transformative power of strong father-daughter relationships. Her brand new book, her debut book, is called Talk With Her, A Dad's Essential Guide to Raising Healthy, Confident, and Capable Daughters. And it is unbelievable. We're going to talk about that and a lot of issues surrounding that. I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. Kimberly is so passionate about helping demystify girlhood for dads and to help help them communicate better with their daughters so they can maximize their parental impact and inspire young women, their daughters, to reach their full potential. And now I think we've waited long enough. Welcome to episode 24. And here is Kimberly Wolf. Kimberly, welcome to the podcast. It's great having you here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. So Kimberly, you heard a little bit of my introduction of you. You've done a lot, a lot of great education and life experiences and piece it together. Where did you start getting this interest in equipping girls with the tools they need to live their best life and and also in the area of psychology and human development? Where did all that start and how did you end up where you are right now? I think this has always just been a lifelong passion of mine, human development. How do we learn the skills and the strategies that it's going to take to thrive in all areas of our lives, from a health perspective, in our relationships, in our careers, in education, and in performance, I actually became really interested in this from an early age. It just came by it really naturally. I grew up in Los Angeles, and so, and I have a lot of doctors in my family and my extended family, and so I just always had this real interest in health. At the same time, I was growing up in the shadow of Hollywood. I was very aware of the impact of media and I was very interested and passionate from a young age about how we could harness the kind of sparkle and glitter of media and marry it with educational material so that we could get it to girls from an early age. Just something that interested me from a very early age. I went to an all girls school. I was very aware of my own experience, but I was also somebody who my friends came to even in high school to talk through things. I was always sort of counseling my friends unofficially, you know, there's always that, that girlfriend who people (laughs) ask for advice and that's always continued. That's always been part of my role. And at the same time, I was meeting a lot of celebrities and celebrity role models. I had, I was on movie sets, friends, parents were working on them. I would be an invited guest. Um, And that just really piqued my interest. And so having left high school with this real knowledge base about the, the issues that were impacting teenage girls, but also this feeling like we weren't quite getting the education that we really needed. Some of these real world skills. Now it wasn't because the adults in our lives weren't trying or that they didn't care that they were out of touch with us. It's because when you're an adolescent girl, you're not really talking all the time or asking questions of the knowledgeable adults in your life about the things that are really meaningful to you because one, it's embarrassing. It's awkward. Two, you don't know if you're normal or if there's something really wrong or you should be worried about. Three, when you bring things up that are pretty sensitive on the topics of mental health, sexual health, relationships, 
you're worried that your parents might be mad or that they might be disappointed in you or that you're going to get in trouble. There's all of these roadblocks to communication. And so at that age, media is a really, really important educational tool for girls. On the flip, it can be really misleading because it's inaccurate. And it's also, you know, sometimes they're going to come by messages that aren't helpful. So yeah. how that's what brought me to kind of how do we create these resources for girls that are really that are really helpful and useful and trustworthy. And that's what I started working on when I was at Brown. I wrote my thesis on 17 magazine and how it handled health content. And I worked in entertainment. I worked in health startups in the Silicon Valley. I then went to get my master's and transitioned into this career that was more focused on education and educational media, working in schools while also producing media for girls. Kimberly, that's fascinating. A lot of great background. And, but yet your brand new book, your brand new author, debut book, Talk With Her, A Dad's Essential Guide to Raising Healthy, Confident, and Capable Daughters. Wow, that's, that's very focused. Why that particular topic? Why that book? It's so close to my heart. This answer is a really big answer, but I never expected to write for dads. I never expected to write for men. I laugh. I was a gender studies major in college that, you know, when you don't sit around being like, how do I, you know, 20 years ago, the focus was girls empowerment. It wasn't men's empowerment. right? Right. And I wasn't really thinking about how girls empowerment is tied to supporting men because it just wasn't something that was really linked. Right. You know, we're talking about girls. What do girls need to know? Right. It's not, we weren't, I wasn't thinking about from where do they need to know it or from whom it was sort of, what do they need to know? And I was launching a girl's health platform. I'm an educational entrepreneur and just a startup junkie in general. And I was talking to all of these men who were investors around the country and what started to happen from the very beginning of those meetings was that I would be talking about this business that I wanted to start for girls and the support that I needed and the funding that we were looking for. And the men that I was speaking to started asking me for very, very specific and personal advice about raising their daughters. Ah. And it wasn't just, I'm worried about my daughter. It was about the roles of fathers and the roles of husbands and partners and co-parents and grandparents questions like the first one I ever got, which I mentioned over and over and over again, was I just got divorced. Can I start dating again? Or is that going to harm my teenage daughter? Mm. And I was very honored to have been asked that question. And I certainly had an answer for it. And I also thought to myself, oh my goodness, everybody in town wants a meeting with you. It's two o'clock on a Tuesday. And this is what you're concerned about. But of course, matters of love and family and connection are of most important to us. No matter what we're doing or how successful we are, how successful people think we are, what they think we're thinking about. We're thinking about our kids and our family and our health and the real things that matter on a day-to-day basis. So I had enough of those conversations. I called my own dad, who I'm really close to. I have an older brother and an older sister, and I'm the youngest by 11 years. And I said to my dad, I said, dad, was it that much harder to raise me than it and my sister than it was to raise my brother? And my dad, who was a stellar girl dad, goes, oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Did he tell you more? (laughs) Did he tell me more? Um, He always says you worry about your girls. As a father, he always worried about his girls. He didn't worry about his son as much. My brother with, you know, certain things in terms of heartbreak or, you know, basic, you know, being in danger or the 
possibility of sexual assault, right. anything like that. He worried, he worried about the girl drama and how it was affecting me being left out. There was so much emotional turmoil for young girls. And I think those are the things that he really worried about. And he was amazing. This book is grounded in research. It gathers scholarly insights from studies from globally. It talks about what leading other leading experts, including myself, have to say, and it's endorsed by top leading experts in the field. But a lot of it just pulls pages from my dad's own playbook, because <laughs> what I found was that when I was looking into the research about fathers and daughters and the, the proportion of research about fathers and daughters is far less than what research we see. You know, the research on fatherhood is far less than it is than is the research on motherhood. You know, fathers and daughters is even a smaller sliver of that pie. Hmm. Um, but what I found really interesting and I tell my dad is he was really ahead of his time with a lot of the language that he used, a lot of the ways that he tried to connect. And so this book is about the research and I use my dad to illuminate some That's of the so insights. Good. That is so good. You just made my entire day. That is such a great story. I want to meet your dad. Could you get him on the podcast here? Yeah. Um, he's in LA and he's still sleeping, but yes, we could get him on. He's, he and, is quite a character. Yeah. A question I have for you. One of the things that I've, that I've seen in your book, you talk about these smallest moments between mm -hmm. a, a dad and a daughter. It's not these big events uh, necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, what types of things did your dad do? Can you identify what are some of those moments or those things that your dad did looking back on it now and that we as dads can learn from that? So this is kind of a funky example. It's just the first one that's coming to my mind with your question. So my dad has always ordered a straw for me for my water. And yeah. yes, for as long as I can remember, he continues to and I'm I'm a grown up with two children now. And when we go out <laughs> to dinner, the two of us, he'll say she needs a straw for her water. And when I'm not with him, I order a straw for my water. Um, it came when I was writing about this in my book, I said, dad, you know, it's so sweet that you, you know, order me a straw. And he said, yeah, I don't know why I have to do that though. Yeah. And he never knew why my teeth are really sensitive. So I can't drink cold water bothers me. So I always drink through a straw and my dad just picked up on the fact that I needed a straw. And so all the way through my childhood and into my adulthood, when he's with me, he orders the straw for me. It's this oh. little teeny moment that shows that he was paying attention and listening. He didn't even know why. He just knew it was important to me. He never even thought to ask the question. He just knows that I need a straw when I drink water. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just a tiny example. There's so many little things that he did. These, when I would, and I write about these in the book, when I would have play practices, I was an opera singer in high school and I was always in the plays. Um, I also played volleyball. He would pick me up from my practices late at night. He's sort of a night owl. That was kind of a good time for him. And he had a flexible job. He sold insurance so he could be at all of my events during the day, but he That's really good. took the evening as his time. He knew that would work for him. So he would pick me up from those practices and he would take me out to dinner for a late dinner or nightcap, or if I just wanted dessert, or we just weren't going to sit and, you know, I would have some water with a straw or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he would take me to his favorite restaurant on the beach in LA. And we would sit there at nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night together on school nights. And I talk about this school night thing a lot in the book. I think breaking up the week and doing things on school nights when you can find the time is really a really important yeah. skill for dads to work out and then instill in their kids. Because what it shows, what it teaches you is about time management. It teaches you about 
prioritizing family time when we're busy and we're all programmed to live for the weekends. Those are the types of things my dad did. And he was also a grand gestures guy. So you want to mix both in. So I have this baseline of memories of him being there and us having these routine things that we would do. And then, you know, he would pick me up from school and just take me to a Dodger game and not tell me that that's where we were going. Or he would once a year until I was 18, until I was 18, once a year, he would, I would wake up on a school day and I wouldn't know when it was going to be. And he'd say, we're going to Disneyland all All the way through high school. So (laughs) just, I think the spontaneity is fun. The playfulness is really important. Paying attention to your daughter, picking up on those cues and all of those things kind of add up. When I look Mm. back at my childhood, I'm always, you know, my dad is a live out loud kind of guy. There's a lot of really bright and shiny examples of his fatherhood. It wasn't always perfect, right? He didn't do everything perfectly in my view, or, you know, it's not about being the perfect dad. It's about being there consistently over time. And when I look back at my childhood, those are the things I think about. I think about him being there consistently over time and being this source of support, but also fun and spontaneity and companionship. Wow. There's a lot there. Let me follow up on that. So I haven't shared with you yet. So I'm, I'm a dad of, of three kids. I have two daughters, uh, grown daughters. Mm-hmm. And um, boy, and some of my questions you'll hear will be this uh, combination of uh, confident expertise, but also mm-hmm. uh, some insecurity. Mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> so here, so when, when I, when I would look, look back on that, um, on raising, raising girls, speaking on behalf of dads, boy, there's this, um, there's this pressure uh, to be perfect right? Thinking you just got, and this story reminds me though, that you don't have to be perfect and Mm -hmm. we should maybe give ourselves a bit of a, um, I don't know, release that pressure valve a little bit, Mm -hmm. but to be consistent, to be aware, to be in the game. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that's so, so often we fall into this trap dads, all of us is thinking we got to be invincible. No, no chinks in the armor. And that's not the case at all. Is that what your experience and that was, is that what the research research shows Kimberly? Yes, I would say definitely you want, you need to be present, not perfect all the time. You know, you want to be a good dad, right? There are certain things that, you know, you do want to steer clear of a lot of them I outline in the book, right? I think it's worth, you know, knowing as a father, what types of messages are going to build your daughter up and what types of messages aren't going to fly or can actually be damaging. But, you know, for the most part, if you're there and you're loving your kids and you're communicating, you're really ahead of the game there. And It is true. You know, I think one of the things that really struck me and the reason I thought it was really important to write this book is that these conversations that I was having with those investors I described became sort of these safe spaces where men, it was, you know, it was behind closed doors. It was almost like in a whisper, like, you know, I get home at the end of the day, I've been working so hard and my wife makes me feel like I can't do anything right with these girls. And what do I do? You know, it's not cool especially right now to talk as a father and be like, I'm really struggling here. Yeah. As a man, I need help, you know, because it's just, you know, I, I, it's this whole toxic masculinity theme, you know, do we have to be perfect? This toxic positivity theme we see in our society. It's very hard. I think from, as a, from my perspective, and obviously I'm not a man, I'm a daughter and I'm a woman, the conversations that I had, revealed to me that a lot of these men were really struggling and didn't feel like they could talk about it. And also didn't really feel like the resources that are out there were for them because I could, I could send you to other books. I could send you to resources, but the fathers I was talking to didn't feel like those were for them. 
yeah. or that they were speaking to them or that they were even coming upon the resources that could help. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you're right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, here's, here's my experience. Uh, so dads, l- listen up, see if this tracks with you. So uh, baby daughter, right? I can still remember holding, holding both of them in the hospital. And then there was something that just clicked when you have, when you hold that baby in the hospital from a dad standpoint, the world changes, right? Mm-hmm. And you just, you, 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 the world shifts and becomes all, all about them. As they're growing up, they're absolutely perfect. Uh, three years old, five years old, there's the, 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 the hugs and the affection and the playfulness, the connection is just there. And looking back on it, right? Uh, it's never going to change. It's always going to be that way. And then something happens at right around, well, adolescent where the connection becomes different. And I'd lo- love to hear from you in your book and your research. What, what is that? Because as a dad, I know I struggled with it. I, I know all dads, I'm sure, are going through that or have, but what can, what can you teach us on that, Kimberly? There is a chasm that happens when girls begin these pre-adolescent years and this journey to womanhood. What happens is in so many cases, obviously we're speaking generally, is that girls are naturally starting to individuate. That's a very normal task of adolescence for kids to look outside their family, to think more and want to be around their friends more, to seem to be influenced more by friends and culture than parents, and to really pull away from the family. That's very normal developmentally. That's hard for all parents of all kids of all genders. And when girls, and when we look at girls and their dads, what's happening in those adolescent years is there's even more separation that can happen. When girls start to change physically, that can create a lot of distance between fathers and their daughters. These running, jumping into your daddy's arms moments turn into side hugs. A lot of dads also want to give their girls space. I mean, they don't, you know, when their girls are starting to develop physically and secondary sex characteristics are appearing, it can feel really uncomfortable for a lot of men to be like, okay, do I hug her? Do I give her a space? And how touchy can I be? And how do I teach her about boundaries? Even, you know, now there's a big conversation about consent and body autonomy, right? So there's just these broader cultural themes too, especially in this country that create a lot of separation between fathers and daughters. A lot of it is this you know, myth about male and female and, um, you know, as daughters bloom into sexual beings or what can be seen as sexual beings, they don't see themselves as that early on, but, you know, there becomes a lot of anxiety for a lot of men about like, oh my gosh, she's growing up and, you know, how am I going to continue to protect her? And now she's pulling away and this is very scary. And it, I say in the book that this myth of your daughter becoming a teenager starts as soon as you find out you're having a daughter and (laughs) people start saying right then, Oh my goodness, we'll just, you know, it's going to be great in those first years, but just wait till she becomes a teenager. Then it's going to all go downhill. And what I, what I say to dads and moms about that is that actually that is a lot to live up to. That's a lot for girls to live up to, that they're going to become really difficult. You know, we don't want to look at our teenagers like that, our, our adolescents. And so that's kind of in my research where the separation comes from. Also, when it comes to these sensitive conversations, all of which I detail in this book about body positivity, menstruation, sexual health, relationships, 
all of the, and girl drama, all of some of the scariest topics for dads, because dads have never personally dealt with any of those. And it can seem like, well, I don't get, I don't menstruate. It's probably better for my female partner to talk about that than me. Um, There are ways for dads to participate in those conversations in wholesome, positive, productive ways. You know, you don't have to say everything a woman might say about it, or you can't speak from personal experience, but fathers can stay in the game. There's this, another part of the myth is that like girls are women's work, right? That men can't have anything to say about it, but you do. And when, when men jump in and have these important conversations with girls around these really sensitive topics that we, that we don't generally think of as kind of the men's sphere, it actually sends really important messages to girls that men are willing to speak and that you can. So Kimberly, that's, I love that. And in your book, you said that there's the, the girl may not be listening, but she's hearing it. Did I get that right? T- tell us more about what, what that means. Yes. So there's a line in the book that says you, it may not seem like she's listening, but she can hear you. And that's what matters most. And that is the truth. And it's, I love it when people ask me about that line, because it's probably my favorite line in the entire book. The book is long and deep, and that is my favorite line. And it's such an important message. I'm always so happy when people highlight it. So thank you for asking me about it. You're not going to get a lot of positive feedback from adolescent girls. You can't count on it. Let's put it that way. Maybe there's some girls who are going to be like, thank you, dad, for that really sensitive, appropriate helpful chat on that really difficult topic. You know what you're going (laughs) to, yeah, no, you're going to get eye rolls. You're going to go, you're going to get dad, stop. You're going to get dad, why dad, stop dad. I'm not listening to you. You're just going to get an eye roll or you're just going to get a tune out. Um, I always say that all of those things that make you feel like a loser really mean that you're winning. Like if you feel like a loser with your teenage daughter, like you're a big winner Um, because if you're there to gather all of the negativity and those reactions and to have her talk to you, like you don't know anything, even that means you're in there having those conversations that matter. And when we talk about her, you know, not necessarily listening to you, but hearing you, it's very normal for us to give young people advice and, and see that they're not really following it. But the, I, the important thing is that we repeat ourselves over time, that they know what they should know, that we tell them about the skills and strategies that will help them, where to find information that's important to them, and that we're always there for them. Those are the messages that are really important that they do take away, even if they don't listen to what you're telling them at the moment. Oh my gosh. I love that. And uh, uh, listening right now are a whole bunch of dads and I, on the way to work or at work. And, or uh, right now they're giving a big fist pump saying, yeah, I didn't know I was winning the whole time. That's great. Yeah, no. You know, there's nothing like a teenage daughter to or an adolescent daughter to make you feel like you don't know anything and you're not being successful. And that, that was the huge inspiration for the book. As I was talking to all these men, I really admired and looked up to and friends of mine and mentors who you know, of course we don't know what's happening in people's minds and hearts, but, um, you know, but it was the girls, this is what they needed help figuring out. Um, I appreciate that perspective very much. Um, this may not be a fair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the, the, yeah, the biggest thing that, that dads miss that they just don't know about either parenting or being a dad? Uh, what are one or two things you think, oh, man, did, if only dads knew this. Ooh, you know, I, I don't think I can pick just one. The first one that comes to mind is sometimes the humor doesn't fall well with girls. 
you know, you can say, you know, there's in the menstruation section says, don't shame her. Or, you know, just kind of how these off the cuff comments, whether they're humorous or not, or, oh, you look like you're asking for it wearing that, or, you know, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to ask for a background check on your boyfriend. You know, there's certain things like that, that yes, the humor can fall well, you need to know your daughter, but oftentimes the humor just can be really, really damaging. And you think you're being funny and joking the way that you might joke with adults, or you might joke with your guy friends. Um, and it's just not going to fall with your girls. Right. You need to be really, really sensitive to topics around body positivity, um, the the functioning of the female body with regard to menstruation and sexuality. I talk a lot about that in my book because there are a lot of pitfalls there and that can be really Mm -hmm. damaging. Um, The other thing I think is really interesting is um, with regard specifically to mental health of which we're in the midst of a giant crisis in this country, especially on the heels of the pandemic and with all of the other forces that are acting on girls and young people in general. One of the most fascinating pieces of data I gathered, and it was with um, Jamie Howard at the Child Mind Institute in New York. If you have any concerns about children's mental health or learning differences, they have a fantastic online resource. And she was explaining to me that it can take years for a parent to get to a mental health diagnosis wow. for a child. The reason being is that, you know, and I saw this for a time, I was a, an independent school counselor. So I was on the other end of this from an educational standpoint. Parents don't mean to overlook what could be a mental health struggle. Um, However, mental health struggles can masquerade as just general moodiness. They can be written off as like, oh, she's just a teenager when she's actually really struggling. And so it's not to say that we need to constantly be scanning for signs that our girls or that our teenagers in general aren't doing well, or, but just that we need to be aware and also sensitive in those times be mindful. I talk about this in the book, be ready for something, you know, lots of kids struggle with mental health. Um, and don't expect that to just be fixed right away. So many dads just, they want to say things like, but you have so much to be, you know, parents in general, you have so much to be grateful for you. You know, you don't know what problems are. I have problems. You're too young to have problems like this. And that can shut down communication. So those are the two, I think those are the two big things is, you know, they're very specific. A lot of times, what also strikes me about working with men is that they don't realize how much they're actually doing right. Because when I, there's still this myth of sort of a bumbling father and much of society still views mothers as the, the best parent, the best parent to be taking charge of child rearing. And so men don't realize actually how much they're already doing right. So I would say those two specific things, I worry that men miss, but you know, I'd like to say there's a lot I think they do right that they don't realize on the flip well, side of that. I think, yeah, the things that you missed, I mean, I can speak from my own experience. I have, I've done those exact things, right? The humor doesn't fall well. Um, what I would say to the dads out there, especially the, those who are uh, maybe thinking that they're, well, their current dads are thinking about having a family. Talk with her, right? What a book, because I'll tell you, I've often talked to my other, you know, guy friends, dads, where we, we, we say to each other, holy smokes, I wish there was an owner's manual. I'm being a parent. Um, Mm -hmm. And this to me is just as close as I can get because it is filled with research, but also knowing that your dad is part of this whole thing too, gives it a lot of credibility for me. So for those who are listening though, the dads out there, this is a book that um, you got to pick up. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, Kimberly, part of your, part of your background is it was something having to do with entrepreneurial leadership. And Mm -hmm. I, I guess what I'm asking is, 
as we take, as we look at a girl's development, talk with her, mm -hmm. uh, becoming adolescent and then uh, a woman in careers, et cetera, what's the link here with your background in entrepreneurial leadership and then this whole topic? I'm really curious about that. Oh my goodness. There's so much I could say on this topic. Talk with her was inspired on my entrepreneurial journey. And I have always been, I've been an educational entrepreneur and that's always been my path. When we talk about the impact of fathers, one of the greatest impacts fathers can have on their daughters is supporting them, inspiring them and guiding them to fulfill their potential in the professional sense. It has to do with a bunch of different, different aspects of the skills that girls need to thrive in this particular area of their life. Wow. My own philosophy, and it's backed up by research, is that health and well-being, social connection, those are the building blocks of happiness and success in other areas of life. If we want our girls to be successful, however they define that, however we think, whether it's in the home or out of the home or where, whatever we want for the girls, which in my, you know, it should be, you know, whatever is going to be, whatever it means to fulfill potential for her individually. Fathers have a lot to do with regard to giving girls the foundation to build off in that sense. There's also this really interesting study that I bring up a lot. And basically it says that if fathers are involved in the home, if they are helping with child rearing, if they're helping around the house, it actually means that their daughters are going to be more likely to experience professional success later on. Really? Be yes. Because the mechanism it looks like is that girls will see that men are participating in the home. It's not just women participating in the home. So obviously we're talking about heterosexual two parent families here. Right, right. Um, when girls see that they conceptualize themselves, not just as women working in the home, but women who can go out and do what have other careers outside the home, because there will be a partner at home who presumably will help her obviously it's limited, um, but yeah. it has implications for how girls see themselves and no matter what family um, structure they choose going forward. Another important link to leadership and entrepreneurship is that when girls, especially when they enter high school, we can look at them and say they're young and they don't know a lot or they have a lot to learn. All things true. They see themselves as very adult and on the flip, especially I start teaching really in seventh grade and on. And when we get to high school, we see is that the habits and the advice and the strategies that girls that all teenagers start learning in high school are strategies that they can build on lifelong. And the more, the earlier that they hear lessons about, for instance, anything from like, it's really important to drink water for mental clarity to you have to get sleep and you have to put your phone away. Even adults have to do that so that they're not distracted by blue light late at night or before they go to bed. The earlier that we can start teaching girls and boys, of course, but we're talking about girls here because that's my yeah. book. Um, those lessons, the better off they're going to be lifelong. One, one of the projects that I've worked on that I am most proud of in my career 
is that I've developed a curriculum that I teach in schools across the country called Love Class. Love Class is an exploration in self-love relationships and sexual health. And I've been a sex ed teacher for a long time. I teach in a variety. I started in California where we teach very liberal sex ed, but I also, I've lived in Texas. I've lived in Massachusetts. I've taught in schools across the country in a variety of religious and cultural contexts. And so I teach what we need to tell kids and what communities would like to tell their kids so that they in different, you know, with, in the confines of different value sets, um, how do we teach kids? What do we, what do they need to know? Now, again, what I'm most proud of in love class, which is kind of the secret of love class is that it's actually based on a very high level law for law school, um, negotiations course. My husband, yeah. So my husband went to Harvard law and we, this is, I had just finished my master's in education there. And we were in this big, really important conversation about where we were going to live, where we were going to go after he finished law school. And it could have been a really heated conversation, but he got real cool and he got (laughs) really calm. And (laughs) he started saying things like, we've been talking about this for a little too long, probably right now. I think we're both getting tired. Why don't we just table it? Why don't we go play a game or take a walk? And then tomorrow, maybe we can choose a 15 minute period and just have this conversation and see if we can like bang through and see if we can make any headway. Look at him. And I was like, are you (laughs) using your law school negotiations class? That is too good. That is too good. In our relationship? And I was kind of offended because I felt like I was at a competitive disadvantage because I wasn't in the class. And basically I just said, give me the book. And so um, I started, that's where I really started reading about these high level communication frameworks and what we teach people in entrepreneurial leadership, people who want to get things done, people who, you know, want to find kind of meaningful middle ground who want to make everybody feel valued in conversations, but also want to protect their own boundaries and be able to speak to what they need to thrive. And I believe that it is all the same thing. And so what I do is I, is I wrap it in themes of teen romance. And that's what I use to teach healthy relationships and boundary setting. Boy, I love that. How do we learn more about that? And, and, and not only that, but also other ways to follow you. Tell us more about how do we learn more about that and beyond? If you want to hear more about, learn more about my programs, you can look at my website, KimberlyWolf.com. I am on Instagram at Kimmy S. Wolf. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can find me there, Kimberly Wolf, author of Talk With Her. I... Okay answer my own emails. So if you would like to contact me through my website, you can, and I will get back to you. This topic is just so wildly important to me. And I, it came from the conversations that I was having with people. So I'm not stopping having those conversations. If anybody has any questions or wants to reach out, they can certainly reach me through my website. Yeah. I I can attest to the fact you answer your own emails. You're very responsive, (laughs) right? Um, But now, okay, this, this, the Kimberly Wolf's love class. So what does that business model look like? I mean, you say it's, it's in schools or is it through online? Um, How do we learn more about that? That is fascinating. Yes. So I teach in school. So for people who are listening, you can ask your schools if they've heard about it or tell them about it and tell them to reach out to me. What I do is I customize programs when it comes to this topic, which is self-love, especially healthy relationships and sexual health for young people. 
it is a really super hot button topic, right? For a bunch of reasons we can name. And so I work with all different school communities all over the country to craft programming that fits within their values and the parameters that they can teach in, what's meaningful to their parents, um, how they communicate with parents and what they want their kids to know so that we can make sure kids are educated regardless of what the cultural context is or the religious values of a given campus. It's my belief that we need to be teaching kids the basics of sexual health education and also really importantly, just how to navigate all of the information that's coming at them. That's a big part of sex ed. Now sex ed isn't just like, here are the facts and here's how it happens, which, you know, some schools are very concerned about teaching obviously. Um, but it's really about teaching kids critical thinking about all the messaging they're getting from the broader media landscape that they're living wow. in and also the, the communities and their friends. So that it's in schools and I customize it for schools I'm also starting an online course that people can subscribe to. And then I'm doing individual coaching with parents who want to have better conversations with their kids and want to know more beyond what's in the book. Wow. Well, that look like sex ed in high school and schools have really evolved since I was in high school. I um, yeah. Mrs. Wernsing, uh, she just gave us the facts and didn't make uh -huh. eye contact. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it sounds yes. like it's evolved for sure. So Kimberly, I can't let you leave here before, um, before asking this question, many parents, they want me to ask this question. I know it. All right. Especially dads. All right. Social media. Um, uh -huh. for, for parents who are uh, thinking about, okay, do I get my kid a smartphone? Or my, my daughter is, man, she's, she already has a phone. She's on Instagram and TikTok. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. And I mean, as a general statement, give us, give us a couple of uh, thoughts here on how we can help our daughters navigate the social media landscape. I know it's not a fair question, but wow, it's a lot going on here. Ooh. So if you feel like social media is a total nightmare and you're a parent, you are not alone and you're correct in a lot of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're correct in your thinking. I mean, I think, you know, that's really important baseline is I hear you and you're not alone. If you think that social media is a really, really difficult topic to manage and you don't like it or you don't understand it, and it seems really dangerous for kids. We know that it has a lot of negative impacts and that's usually where we all focus our energy, it's easier, right? And the media covers a lot. We're very concerned, obviously, over girls' mental health, young people's mental health, the time suck that it creates, as it does for adults, of yeah. people of all ages. Social media evolved so quickly that we didn't have really the skill set or any of the systems in place that would educate people right away on the risks and the healthy media habits. When it comes to flipping the script, and learning how to manage social media and being productive in our conversations about it, there's a few different places to focus energy. So one is social media is extremely connective for young people in many ways, as long as they are also smart about the way that they're using it. Some things to look out for, you asked in the beginning, should I get my daughter a phone? Should she be on Instagram? That's very personal. It depends on her age. It depends on community. It's really important to know, though, that certainly you can be the only people to not give your kid a phone. I know plenty of people who do that. It is protective. Um, it can be difficult for them socially because that's how kids are communicating. So it is. It can be a bit of a social um, slower slower downer. Right, <laughs> not right. coming up with the the best word here. It can it can it can thwart their social lives. Yeah. Um, 
on the flip side, they, if they're going to access TikTok, they're going to access it. They're going to access Instagram. They're going to access it. They're going to access it maybe on a laptop or from their friend's phone. So it's really hard to completely keep our, our kids off of social media. We want to teach them the basics. I always tell parents that teaching safe tech is the same as teaching safe sex. Well, that's interesting. It is. It's a complicated, scary yeah. topic that is very much out of our hands and happens out of our view. Even if we're sitting in the room with a kid with they're on their phone, we don't know what they're looking at. Right. That's exactly. So what you want to focus on is giving your kids actionable strategies that they can use. Again, they may not listen to you right away. They may not seem to ever listen to you, but it's important that they know. Limit the time that you spend every day. Be mindful about how it's making you feel. Does this make you feel good or is it making you feel bad about yourself? Do you feel better looking at this or less better? Those are great questions. When you take a walk or you bake cupcakes or you play with the dog or you call a friend on the phone or you sit outside and I don't know, blow bubbles or look at the clouds or whatever, you know, how are those things different? I used to do this activity with high school seniors. I didn't tell them why they were really stressed out, right? They're waiting for college decisions. It was a positive psychology class. I'd say, Hey everybody. Okay. Come on in, put your laptops down. We're going to play Jenga. (laughs) We're going to play Jenga in class for the first 15 to 20 minutes. And they were so joyful. And I asked them after I said, how do you feel about it? How do you feel? So excited. They were cheering each other on. They were totally present and in the moment. And so we really want to draw those moments where we help kids understand the difference between sometimes when social media can make them feel bad and how other activities can make them feel better. We want to talk about little things like if, if, if a certain feed or a certain type of content is making you unhappy or bringing you down, you don't have to watch it. You can, you can stop following that person. Um, And then further flipping it, you want to talk about online reputation management. This I find to be a really important tool. This is where we talk about when people Google your child, what do they find about them online? This is more of a topic that is appropriate for late eighth graders who are going into high school. They'll start to kind of wrap their heads around it, but also high schoolers who are starting to think about college and are going to be maybe applying for their first summer jobs or applying for their first internships in college. When we talk to them about their power to create a positive online presence in very simple terms, look, you know, be careful about what pictures are of you online. People can find them. Even if you think they're private, there's always a chance someone could screenshot something and send it. Think about what you're putting online and make sure that you're putting your best foot forward. It's not about being inauthentic. It's not about being perfect again, but just helping them understand the simple steps that they can take to create a little website. You know, use LinkedIn from an early age to, or in high school, they change their ages from time to time. So you have to check on the you know, the age ranges, but use LinkedIn to start posting about your accomplishments. If you play tennis or you were covered in the local paper or your play debuted at the local playhouse so that that you can start to think about how can you use social media in positive ways. And those are some little tips. It's, I give talks on that as well. And I, there's a long chapter on social media in here in the book that people can read everything that I think about it. But that's really where I would focus. I think it's really easy to be afraid of it. You're not alone. It is a really difficult topic. It is very all-encompassing and it's very hard to wrangle. Um, One last tip I would say is that don't be afraid to let the kids guide you. 
So a lot of parents feel really out of touch when it comes to social media trends. Yes, everybody does. I'm a social media expert and I often hear about new things from kids because all of these new apps and games and platforms, they're meant, they're designed to go viral among kids before parents, because if they go viral (laughs) with teenagers, then that's a big paycheck for these companies. They're often, they're designed for that, you know, so the, and the kids, we know they're cooler than us anyway. So they know more about it than we do. So just ask them questions about what's going on and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. I love that. That's very empowering. Thank you for that. You know, I, uh, (laughs) my wife and I, again, three grown kids, right. But we, uh, we're on, we're on TikTok, right. We checked Mm -hmm. out TikTok anyway. So we, we, we tried this, uh, I just, we, I, I turned the phone around last night and we were in the kitchen. I said, okay, Michelle, we're going to try that viral dance. Right? Mm-hmm. And we, we tried it. It did not go well. Let me put it that way. And <laughs> by the way, we would never put that up any, anywhere. Right. But we did, we did send it to our kids just to, just to horrify them. So, uh-huh. And I bet they loved it. <laughs> they did. And now I'm praying they don't put it up on TikTok. Right? They may. They, they may. may. And then you could go viral. That would be great for you. <laughs> so, That's great street credibility. <laughs> I love it. All right. So Kimberly, give us, give us your advice. Then uh, we got a lot of dads listening They're um, They're on their way to work or they're at home listening into this podcast. Um, talk with her as your rent is your brand new debut book. What advice do you have for dads uh, that, that would help them um, be the best dad that they can be? Any, any last words of advice for them? I would say just be there be consistent. The book is called talk with her because that's the best thing that you can do. Even if she doesn't seem like she's listening, even if she doesn't seem like she wants to hear from you, even if she doesn't respond right away, you really want to just talk with her until she starts coming to you and stay consistent and stick with it. Like I said, you're not going to always get a bunch of positive feedback from your adolescent daughter on your, on putting yourself out there on a limb as a dad and really trying hard to be the best parent you can be, but you're still, you're still doing great. Stick with it. Kimberly, thanks for that. I think you gave us, again, this conversation gave us all some tools and some insights and a little, for me, a little bit more confidence that we, we all can be even, even better dads to help our daughters and our kids. So thank you again for being part of the podcast. It's great meeting you and best of luck to you in your book, Talk With Her. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I hope all your listeners love this podcast. I certainly love talking with you. So let me know if you want to do it ever again. I will. Thanks, Kimberly. Well, that's the show with Kimberly Wolf. What a great interview and uh, a lot there for everybody, especially to the dads out there. I hope you're feeling a little, little bit more empowered <laughs> than you were just before the episode. Um, remembering that our daughters, they may not be listening, at least on the surface, but they sure can hear us. And just we, we don't need to be perfect, but we just need to be present. Today is the day to take the advice of Kimberly. Talk with her. That's all we got to do. I'm sure you caught this as well. Kimberly's dad had these fun little random type uh, moments and being his, her dad was intentional about that. And to all the dads out there, I think we all are thinking of right now, maybe implementing a few of those things in our lives and having more of that quality time with our daughters. So a couple next steps. I would invite you to follow Kimberly on Instagram at Kimmy S. Wolf. Connect with her and follow what she's up to. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at Darren Johnson one and the I Dare You podcast community is also on Instagram, at I Dare You Pod. Follow us there. Would love to connect with you. So that was episode 24, everyone. And get ready for next week. Episode 25 is coming your way. We'll see you then.